Welcome to the Ripened Heart Podcast, where we explore the depths of the human psyche through the lens of homeopathy, human design, and astrology for soul-deep healing. Each episode will feature vulnerable and thought-provoking conversations, highlighting healing modalities that help us shift our perspective on what it means to be a healthy and fulfilled human being in today's world. I'm your host, Kaylee Anello. Let's dive into the podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Ripened Heart podcast. I'm really excited to have Declan Hammond on today. Um, I found him through a homeopathy symposium that I attend once a month, and he did this like mind-blowing presentation on how he merges the worlds of homeopathy and shamanism. And that's always been um, something that I'm really curious about because I myself have seen parallels between shamanism and homeopathy. And when he gave his presentation and told his story about how he got into all of this, um, him and I really very much shared some of the same viewpoints um, on homeopathy and the approach that we take to it. And so I'm just so excited to get into his story today and how he combines these two worlds. Um, He is a homeopath, a transpersonal therapist, a shamanic practitioner, And he also co-founded and is the former director of the Irish School of Homeopathy. So his life and work has been a passionate search for the most effective healing tools for himself and his patients. Um, And this journey has taken him all over the globe, studying Eastern and Western approaches to healing, Tantra yoga, and traditional shamanic practices. And Declan has developed a unique synthesis of these ancient and modern healing techniques and works with individuals and groups to empower deep personal growth and spiritual development. He has a particular passion for working with people challenged by non-ordinary states of consciousness, such as those experiencing spiritual emergency or psychosis states. Wow, what a profound end to that bio, Declan. I, I instantly, I'm trying to hold myself back from just diving into that. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Kaylee. Thank you. And thanks yeah. for the invitation. Yeah, it's just always interesting to meet new people and um, people who think and feel and uh, vision in a similar way. So great. Yeah. Yeah, likewise. Um, And so why don't we just kind of start at the beginning and dive right in? How did you come to find all of these, you know, not average metaphysical energetic ways of approaching healing? How did, you know, where did your journey take you to to become familiar with that? Hmm, gosh, starts with a simple question. (laughs) I know, I'm just going right for it. (laughs) Yeah, where does this stuff begin? Like that's the the interesting thing for Mm -hmm. me. Like uh, my journey with homeopathy and energy and energy medicine officially began when I was 20. You know, which is uh, what's that now? Forty-six years ago, so it's uh, quite a, a while back. But you know, I, that journey was not the beginning of it. And you know, I, I think back into my teens, and you know, very early on in my teens, I I found myself 
thinking differently than my mates and who were very interested in exploring bottles of alcohol at the bottoms of fields and stuff and uh, and somehow that never interested me and mm. and while they were off drinking in fields I found myself drawn to reading books on yoga and trying to teach myself how to meditate as a 13 and a 14 year old in front of a candle at night and getting very excited about, you know, these extraordinary states of mind that people were experiencing so far away. And, and as I found myself moving through my teens, I just more and more found myself having some experiences like that myself. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is not just something those interesting guys and women in the Himalayas have these are practices that we can work with. And I was fascinated by this. And really, homeopathy and Tantra found me when I was, I think it was about 20. And they, they came into my life at exactly the same time. The people who I was really drawn to the practice of Tantra, because for me, this was a path of enlightenment. It's a path that's been very, very um, misused these days and people have a very strange idea of what Tantra is, that it's some kind of exotic sex practice. Right. What, I, what I loved about it at the time and still love about it as a practice is that it's it's an opportunity to meet spirit, to meet your higher self wherever you are. If you happen to be somebody, at, as I was at 19, 20, a bit of a loner who would like to spend his life in a cage, oh gosh, cave. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting slip. <laughs> he did not want to spend his life in a cage. And, you know, to, to be able to explore, you know, stuff, you know, really drawing deep into meditation practice. I was really spending a lot of time in my teens meditating and, and doing internal practices. And, you know, when I, I found a practice, a structured practice, and I found the teachers, I, I was drawn to that very, very deeply and very quickly found myself just going down that rabbit hole and, and finding that many of the Indian teachers of these practices, they were people who also were dedicated to service and the practice of Tantra that I worked with, it was very much liberation, you know, enlightenment for the self, but service to humanity. And for me, those two things really came together. And I love the practice, the idea that the deeper you go in your own personal spiritual journey, the greater responsibility you have to your fellow men and women around you to serve, to serve from a deeper place, to serve from a more connected place of spirit. And I love that idea. And I was fascinated by how many of these guys and women, they were part of their service. And especially when I went to India to continue my training, part of their service was visiting villages, you know, bringing food for people who were hungry, but also bringing medicine for people who, who needed medicine. And their medicines that they brought were homeopathic remedies. Really? And I, I had no idea what homeopathy was at the time, and I was dead curious. What is it that that people were able to be given it. It's, it was quite cheap in India. And I was fascinated that a form of medicine could be that cheap. And when I observed, when I spent time in India and I could observe as we visited people again, ailments that they'd had, you know, disappeared apparently magically after these remedies and really curious about it. Well, what's in these remedies? Oh, it's a form of energy medicine. Energy medicine, what the? You know, and it's just the concept was such a strange thing for me. I was brought up on chemistry. I was brought up on science. I was brought up on, on medicine is a chemical that you put into your body. 
not that something you work with the energy and suddenly when I started to read a bit more about it and, and it just made so much sense here I am working with meditation practices that are all about bringing balance into my own nervous system into my own energy system and if getting sick meant I was out of balance in these areas then surely it made sense to work with medicine that worked on that level to bring about a deeper sense of balance again and it just made so much sense to me so I spent a few years going backwards and forwards to India, um, spending time with these guys and mostly, you know, been able to go out with them and on their journeys and inquiring about the remedies they used and inquiring about what they did. And, you know, starting reading more and more of the books around it and realizing, wow, that this is this is a practice that is just so deep and that, that really so exciting. And it was so accessible in India, you know, it was everywhere. You know, we'd go to the markets and people would have books there and everyone knew what homeopathy was. And then I came back to Ireland and I came back to different parts of Europe where I was living with over the next years. And people were like, homie, what? <laughs> yeah. What, what's this stuff? And, and I found myself having to again and again explain what this is. And it was so far away from the European Western mindset, scientific mindset, that it was quite a challenge, you know, for, the, for me to try to explain what was going on. So I spent the next 10 years, you know, into my mid thirties, really apprenticing myself with different people, um, mostly Indian homeopaths. I was living in Scandinavia at the time. And, and practicing, you know, my meditations and going backwards and forwards to India. And my understandings of the remedies, you know, was very much colored by my understandings of Tantra, the model of the chakras, the model of the energy system, the model of how energy works through the energy body. And it, it just gave me such a, a clear understanding of what well, this is how remedies work. It, mm -hmm. they, address the imbalances different parts of the body and uh, different energy centers and it helps to bring those back into balance and that will have effect on the endocrine system the neurological system and all of the other systems of the body and our mental states and it was just a bit of a no-brainer for me to realize that you know th th this is the way to do healing and this is the way to work with people who are out of balance who are sick and I was so excited about it and, and really struggled because I, you know, I, I felt I needed more like 10, 12 years of, of apprenticing with other people and reading books. It just felt unstructured and I felt like I needed my base chakra. I needed to ground it. I needed <laughs> structure for my education. And, and it was a bit piecemeal at that time. And so I, in my, you know, early thirties, I, I found a training. I was living in Scandinavia, but I found a training in England. Mostly at that time, there weren't formal trainings. I wasn't a medical doctor. And to have a formal training in most European countries, you had to first be a medical doctor for it. And at that stage, I was I knew that my future was in medicine, was in energy medicine. And the idea of going spending seven years doing chemical medicine so I could get to the place of working with energy medicine made no sense to me. So I just thought I, I, need, I needed a structure for it. And a college was formed in England in the early 1980s. And uh, I found myself commuting backwards and forwards from Scandinavia to England, you know, every weekend to maybe 12 weekends a year, you know, over the space of a few years. And, and 
yeah, it was a, a lot of air miles in it. Um, burnt a lot of carbon during that time, but <laughs> got myself a really good education. But the education was challenging because uh, they were desperately trying to create a structure for homeopathy that was, um, I say, acceptable. Mm. Acceptable to the system, acceptable mm. to the medical system that was there. And I moved to England to finish my studies. And homeopathy had a long history in England. And, and yet, even so, it was mostly focused around the medical profession. So folks of, such as ourselves who weren't medical doctors, there was a sense of hmm, we, we need to be accepted here and to be accepted, we need to do research and we need we need clinical research. We need to be able to produce a body of research that shows how scientific homeopathy is. And I struggled with that because for me, homeopathy is not scientific, not no. in the not, not in the, the Western model of reductionist science. It's right. not it's not scientific. If you want to put a science on homeopathy or explain homeopathy from a science perspective, we have to look at the science of physics and particularly something like quantum physics to be able to understand. But it certainly doesn't fit into a biochemical model of science. And that was part of the struggle I had because th there was an attempt to to limit homeopathy to take away from a lot of the energetic aspects to it and show its clinical efficacy and to be able to show that, you know, it, it is something that could be accepted and it is something that can fit in the system. And for me, that didn't make sense because it didn't fit into the system. Homeopathy was much bigger than the reductionist system that you know, the conventional medicine and science was based on. So, and I, I found myself pulled between the worlds of feeling that homeopathy had limitless potential and reading Hahnemann, just Hahnemann talking about the higher purpose of our existence, that the real goal of homeopathy was to, to bring us into balance on an emotional, physical, mental level so we can become a channel for a higher purpose. Mm -hmm. And that really excited me when I read that first back in the day. And it still excites me every time I read those words, like the hair goes up in the back of my neck. And it's just so exciting to realize that, my God, there's a vision of healing. You know that we were so in balance we can become a channel for our higher purpose and that was so different from what i was getting in college mm. you know it, it the training and i guess to be accepted you know within the education system they were trying to move away from that higher purpose vague stuff and focus on diseases and healing diseases and i struggled a lot with that and so yeah, I almost left college, I have to say, but um, I was speaking in my presentation about one of my mentors, uh, a wonderful man called Martin Miles, very wonderful old school English man, very gentle person, a gentleman in the real sense of the word, an absolute healer. I, I sat with him in his practice, apprenticed with him for a couple of years when I was living in England and people would go into him in the most damaged places, broken spirits, with dying with cancer. They'd walk in, you know, with the cloud with them and they'd walk out, the cloud had gone just by being in his presence. Wow. And I realized that, that there's so much more to it. And Martin had his spiritual background in the Druid practice and the, the Druid tradition has 
it's kind of a broken tradition now like the, you know probably if you know within europe we're talking about a pre-christian you know form of religious practice and christianity just broke that you know and so what we have these days is a neo-druidism but the, the folks who are actually teaching it drew on an awful lot of indian philosophy and drew on understandings of chakras and energy so when martin would speak you know in his classes about these things it was like listening to a tantra monk speaking from it and it, i felt like i'd come home that ah it is possible to bridge those worlds and it is possible to not be this or that but to be both and of course that's what the tantra practice is in its essence it's beyond duality it's saying yes to the whole you know and so i found myself having a foot in both camps and and being able to do something that combined the best of those because homeopathy for me i love the fact that we were dealing with energy medicine but right from the first aphorism in Hahnemann's seminal book, The Organon, he says, our job as practitioners, as physicians, is to heal. And then he has a footnote to that particular aphorism. And he said, it's not to work out why the healing happens. You know, basically he's saying, you don't need to understand why it works, just do it. Which I struggled with. I still struggled with because I like to know why things work. You know, maybe it's, it's having a... a yeah, I don't know. I, I like to know these things and understanding energy from the perspective of Tantra and understanding that we have energy centers and they control the energy moving through us, that that speaks directly to homeopathy. Yeah. And it explains how remedies work. It explains that, that why certain remedies have certain affinities for certain organs because they work on certain chakras they have a resonance with different parts of the energy body and that resonance is what brings the healing it takes the person's energy to a higher vibrational level and and that is the healing and it just felt like having that understanding of how energy works and how energy moves and what happens when it doesn't move it was so important for me in my understanding of remedies and the remedies just came alive then that they became energetic entities. They became alive as entities in their own right. Mm -hmm. You know, they had a liveness to it. I struggled reading books of, you know, with long lists of symptoms. It was like trying to read a telephone directory for me. And I was like, this is not inspiring. But when I got to understand how they worked within the energy fields, it's like, ah, it just made so much sense for me. And and that was way back in the mid 80s and um, i've been journeying deepening playing with this stuff and having brilliant fun with this ever since and it's just been an amazing journey kaylee i'm just wow. to be honest like you know we've been locked down in ireland for the last 18 months and we're still slowly opening up we're still more or less locked down and and I've been working with people in the most extraordinary challenged places, especially mentally, emotionally, spiritually challenged. You know, I've been, COVID seems to have amplified all of the different latent states, the challenges that people have, the unconscious material, and it's all come to the surface. And the stuff that I've been doing with homeopathy, bringing all this stuff together during this time, is continually amazing me. I've, I've just finished a day's practice with patients and I've been many times today wiping tears from my eyes of 
oh my god you've done what you have achieved what you have tapped into what resources oh wow and the pleasure and the joy of doing this and this level of satisfaction that it has that this old guy can be doing this stuff as a 66 year old and having the best work of his life and doing something that i'm enjoying more now than i've been enjoying you know over this last 46 years and it's just incredible such a blessing to be able to work like this to be able to be gifted an opportunity to to be of service in such a way and i get so much out of this you know and you, you probably notice this as a practitioner like often i wonder who gets most out of this because of the places that i've been brought to even today I've had people share so many different experiences that I've personally never had, but sharing the space with them, opening up a safe space for them, holding a safe container for them to explore these things. I am also in those places and I've been brought into a much, much, much bigger world. And it's opened up my capacity for empathy, for compassion, for spirit, for aliveness, just by doing this work. And I get paid for it. <laughs> yeah, gosh, I, I really want to go more into that, what you're saying, because part of the inspiration, you know, I started this podcast last year. And part of my inspiration was because I just, I saw that there was a disconnect and that people didn't know um, what homeopathy really was or other healing modalities too that are um, more unconventional they weren't aware of how useful these tools can be during these times and what even homeopathy does, you know, there's still this perception, um, you know, even where I live in Oregon, which is kind of like natural health forward, it's still something that you get at the grocery store for a sniffle or a cold or, you know, and we're dealing with, like you said, all of this unconscious material coming up, you know, mental health is just plummeted. And it continues to be that way, unfortunately, and along with all the physical health and, you know, all the disharmony in the world, just everything. It's like Pandora's box has been opened <laughs> for the collective and you have to look at all of it. So we need people like you to, to kind of be a guide for, for people trying to, you know, know what to do with all of this without getting just completely overwhelmed. Yeah. Uh, look, for me, this coronavirus is a wonderful opportunity. It's amplifying everything that mm -hmm. has been latent, that has been well, the divisions that are in our society, the inequities in our society, the unconscious material, it's all been brought to the surface. It's like we've been given a massive amplifier and mm -hmm. it's giving us an opportunity to really see what we need to do. And Absolutely. You know, a conversation I've had because I've been treating people with acute COVID symptoms, with long-term COVID symptoms six months after it, and also more recently a lot of people with after you know vaccine damaged with it. And one of the things that, that keeps coming back to me, COVID is a disease of the heart chakra. It hits the heart, it hits the lungs, the heart chakra. The heart chakra is a place of inclusivity. It's a place of love, of compassion and understanding. That's the antidote to COVID. That's the upgrade. Every virus that from the dawn of time has been an, an upgrade, a potential upgrade for our immunity, for our thinking, for our evolution. 
and the COVID-19 and the coronavirus that triggers it is, is, is also that. And it's bringing us into an opportunity for us, humanity, to raise our game here, to mm -hmm. really step up to a higher level of consciousness. We've been in the realm of the solar plexus, the realm of fight, the realm of ego for millennia. And that's how we've dealt with problems. We fight, you know, we have problems with a, a, a crazy man in a beard sitting in Afghanistan. And what do we do? We spent, you know, $2 trillion and, you know, have a half million people killed because we're going to fight it. And then realize, um, actually, we can't fight it and we leave it all behind and we leave a bigger mess than we've ever started. That's, that's geopolitics. It's the way we've been living in the world. It's it's the, the world I spent the beginning of last year in Brazil and I saw what was happening to the rainforest as it was being burnt down. And I could see with my own eyes the suffering that that was causing and the damage that it was causing. That's what we need to move on from. We have to stop fighting. We have to stop fighting nature. We have to stop fighting other human beings who have different viewpoints than ourselves, who have different religions, who make different lifestyle choices. COVID is asking us to come to the heart, to come to the heart and start engaging with each other from this place. This is the upgrade. And this is our work in this time as healers to support people moving into the heart. And I have to really get that, like, you know, I'm holding that space for other people, but I've had to really learn in this last year and a half, the intensity of the suffering that I've been hearing and seeing in this last year and a half goes way beyond what I've been hearing and seeing for the rest of my life, you know? And I need to be able to do stuff. I'm blessed to live by the ocean. Seven o'clock in the morning, I have my head in the water and uh, it's pretty chilly down here, <laughs> so, you know? But that's my self-care. You know, I need to be well, I need to be able to breathe. I need to have breathing space. I need to be able to come home to my heart in this place. And this is, it's not just the work that we do as healers. If we don't work from this place as healers, we burn out, mm. you know? And this is a, a piece like, a, you know, I've, I set up the School of Homeopathy here and I, I do a lot of postgraduate training nowadays but I'm kind of retired a lot from my teaching, but one thing that's common to every lesson I have is guys, we need to look after ourselves, you know, no matter what modality, once we're in a healing profession, you know, the potential for burnout is absolutely huge. I know so many ex amazing homeopaths and healers and therapists who just can't keep doing it because they haven't looked after themselves they haven't found breathing space for themselves haven't found nutrition support for themselves to do it in a sustainable way you know this is not something that we're going to get over when everyone's vaccinated or whatever story has been told over these months it, this is this is an opportunity for us that we need to find a more sustainable way of being in the world and a more sustainable way of being in practice with our patients and it's the heart chakra. So how do we do relationships? How do we do it with each other? How can we engage with each other in a more compassionate way? When people make choices about, for example, vaccinations that maybe not the choice that I make, can I find myself in an inclusive place? That's Tantra, moving beyond the duality. Can I find myself accepting that and saying, yeah, well, that's not my choice, but I still love you and I'm still willing to work with you.
you know the old way of doing it is like you're wrong and i'll fight you mm -hmm. maybe if i happen to be the president of a big country i might go to war to fight you you know and that, that's that's what's brought us to the brink of destruction we desperately need another way and nature has gifted us COVID 19 as an opportunity to raise our game but you know we need to listen to this we don't it'll be COVID 20 or 21 and we're going to be in a you know god i really god forbid that we go down that road because i'm that would really concern me this is a, this is our opportunity now all of us individually and collectively to raise our game you know and as healers this this is something we need to do from a different place you know to do from a place of i'm part of this too my well-being is central to the work that I do with my patients. If I wasn't out in the, in the ocean this morning, it would have been very difficult for me to do the work that I was doing today. You know, and, yeah, you know. absolutely. And it kind of, um, it reminds me of what you were saying, um, the, the kind of dissonance that you had when you were in the school in England about how you're kind of trying to fit something that's immaterial into a materialist paradigm. And I think that on like a global scale or a larger level, that's kind of the problem that we're facing here <laughs> is that, you know, the uh, air quotes battle between the immaterial and the materialist paradigm that disconnects us from nature, that disconnects us from our soul and that disconnects us from each other so that we, um, we want to go to war, we want to um, engage in conflict, and we're not able to see um, something from somebody else's vantage point, we're not able to access compassion, um, and have that that space to even know how to care for ourselves and how to care for our energetic body and our physical body and merge the two. And I think that's why I, I love homeopathy so much is because from what I've seen and observed, it, yes, it's a, an energetic resonance. It's informational, you know, it, it comes from the consciousness of whatever the remedy is made from, but it gives the person access to their own intuition so that they know how to care for themselves in every way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and that's central to my work as well. It's a, people have to feel empowered out of it. You know, if somebody comes back and they told me their symptoms have disappeared and they haven't had insights into their lifestyle, into their purpose and on the planet or any of that stuff, I'm deeply disappointed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, one second, we've only scratched the surface here. Yeah. yeah. Thankfully, the people who come to me when they've looked at my website or, you know, talk to people who've come to me, they realize that, that there's going to be a bit more than the pain in their gush or their menstrual irregularities or their migraines. There's going to be a bit more to the conversation. <laughs> yeah, let's get into that. How do you how do you um, practice? Um, how do you integrate shamanism and um, therapy and all of the things you do? I, I know you talked about soul retrieval as a central piece too in your presentation. So I'm really curious about that. Yeah, well, 
I didn't even know the term shamanism back in my teens and my twenties. Um, I came across it a bit through the what I realised afterwards were fictional works from Carlos Castaneda writing about, you know, plant medicine and working with people who were, you know, had certain skills to be able to work with traditional medicines that actually accessed other realms and helped people to understand like, the nature of illness and 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 understand purpose and connection at a much deeper level. And so the, the word shamanism, you know, it's like, it, it's actually an interesting word because it, it comes from the Siberian traditions, you know, and like, and it's from the old Russian traditions. And it's a term that we kind of use as a blanket term for traditional indigenous healers. And everywhere you go on the planet, there's different names for that. You know, there's South American names, you know, there's Mexican names, there's North American names, there's Indian names, African names. And but the common denominator in all of these is that these are practices and lifestyles coming from traditions where people were connected connected with each other, connected in community, connected with nature, and that health and disease were considered to be about being in connection or in disconnection. And when I started to become aware of these different traditions, this made so much sense to me because it it gave me an extra little piece of information like, okay, I understand that you know, from a tantra perspective, from an energetic perspective, imbalances can be in the energy body and the chakra system. But the, the disconnection, why would somebody become disconnected from that? Why would somebody go into imbalance in the first place? And learning and studying and traveling in these different traditions, and I, I spent a long time traveling in different traditions in India, um, I've tapped into a lot of the Amazonian traditions, uh, Mexican traditions, and I found myself again with the thread that comes out and the different language for it. But when people are traumatized, there is a particular reaction, a trauma reaction, where some essential part of the person leaves because it's no longer safe for them to be there. And that could maybe be in a war situation, a trauma situation, a sexual abuse situation, shock, you know, any number of things can cause what is traditionally called soul loss, that the soul being the essential part of yourself, the soul being your true essence, and that with trauma that you lose something of that. And it just felt like that was another missing piece for me because that that really gave me a tool to understand that soul loss is at the core of all deep disease yeah and it's especially trauma you know that 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 is the root of it the essence of it and for deep healing to happen people need to connect with that place of deep soul loss and in that place deeply connecting with that place, creating safety, creating balance in that place. The parts that have got lost somehow find their way back. And that's something that in shamanic practice they call soul retrieval. We retrieve parts of ourselves, we connect with parts of ourselves. There are 
different traditions have different tools for doing that. So there, um, in, in many traditions, uh, the indigenous healer would drum, would put themselves in a trance state, maybe with certain plant medicines, would put themselves into an unordinary state of consciousness and would journey in that non-ordinary state of consciousness looking for that part. I use that model a lot in my practice, but I don't do that journey work. I actually create and hold a space for my patients to do that work. So I invite them to connect with their deepest wounds. Now, this is kind of counterintuitive because, you know, who wants to feel their pain? <laughs> That's where the soul loss happens in the first place. Oh my God, I'm hurting. I don't want to feel that hurt, so I leave. And, but homeopathy invites us to be with the pain. It's the essence of homeopathy. It's the name, similar suffering. The place of disease is the place of the healing. COVID is a disease of the heart chakra. This is the place where the healing is, but it's the place where the suffering is. So what we're actually doing, what I'm doing in my practice and what I guess any good healer is doing in their practice. And, and this is something that I've got very much from the indigenous traditions. It's that you're holding a safe space for the person. You're creating a ritual space when you sit with somebody essentially who's sharing something probably they've never shared with another human being. I call that sacred space, you know, and I treat it as ceremonial space. I treat it and I've learned so much from indigenous healers about how to set up and hold a safe container for people to do this work. To go into really deep healing, there needs to be safety. There needs to be structures where people can be held safely in that place. And when they can be held in that place, gently encouraging to explore their wounds rather than trying to get rid of it. And that's the medical model. I've got a pain. I've got a cancer. I have a tumor. Take it away. Yeah. Cut it out, irradiate it out, burn it out, you know, poison it out, but get rid of it. And where I found again and again and again, and in fact, every day of my work, that the healing is in those places. So instead of wanting it to go away, can I connect with it? The body is doing its best. I do a lot of work with people with cancer and creating a tumor is actually the best thing that the body can do at the time. So can you be curious about what that tumor holds, how it looks, how it feels? Can you connect with it and really drop into that? Use your, your own sensitivity to connect with it. And it's quite remarkable what happens to me. Like I, I'm still, after doing this for 30 odd years, I'm still blown away by, by the insights people have when they actually connect with it. You know, I'm remembering one particular woman, she was 50 and had a, a stage three breast tumor and they were talking about surgery and all sorts. And I invited her to feel it and she was very angry with me. I don't want to. And she used some choice words beginning with F and I don't want to feel it. She said, I want to get rid of it. I said, OK, well, could we just breathe a little bit together? And she I asked her just to calm herself and dropped. And within a few moments, she felt, OK, I can do this. And she put her hand on her breast and really felt into it. And I said, can, we, can you allow yourself to to approach it, to connect with it? And she said, oh, it's a place of tremendous pain. I don't want to connect to it. I feel like I want to get away from it. Can you allow yourself to soften it? 
And this is a Tantra practice. Tantra is a practice of being with intensity. And Tantra doesn't differentiate between good intensity, pleasurable orgasmic intensity, or pain and challenging. It says it's just intensity. Can you be with it gently? Can you breathe into it? Can you expand into it? Can you allow yourself to really deeply connect with that place? And she did, and she described it as a, a, a solid ball. She said, it's gray, it looks like iron, it looks impenetrable. So I invited her to breathe and to drop into it. And as she breathed it into her breast, I said, could you imagine yourself breathing in and out of that place? And as she did, the color started to change and that hard outer became softer and it became softer and she continued doing it and tears started rolling down her face. I said, what's happening? It's becoming pink. It feels like it's like the inside of my uterus. It's all soft. And she said, oh, oh no, it's not. It's my mum's uterus. I'm connecting with my mother. And suddenly she was brought face to face with her mum. And it was extraordinary. I said, what's the significance of that? And she said, oh, I'm realizing my son just turned five. When I was five, my mum had a psychotic breakdown, was hospitalized. And she started really shaking. He said, he said, this is the seeds of it here, the loss, the pain, the suffering. And she got really, really, really angry. And, and she started to, to curse about my mum and she did it. How could she do this to me? And we were able to prescribe, you know, so we have a beautiful remedy in homeopathy called Staphos Agria. You know, it's a sense of indignant, feeling hurt, feeling wounded. How could they do this to me? How could our mum do it for me? And that allowed her to soften and a few weeks on the remedy and the tumor started to shrink and we worked together over six months and the tumor disappeared completely the tumor had also gone into her lymphs it had gone away as she dropped deep into after about two months she was realizing she was left with shock she was left with a real sense of violent shock her mum had been violent. She said, the field that I'm in, and she this was continually meeting the lump in her breast. Every session we connected with the lump in her breast. That was the place. And she used to laugh. That was, I'm doing my, my breast meditation. <laughs> you know, so don't tell too many people you're doing that. <laughs> but it was just really sweet. But she found herself in a place of shock and contraction with the shock. and. We worked with another remedy called stramonium, you know, a remedy that has deep shock, deep, deep separation and really violent in its effects. And if you look up remedies for breast cancer and homeopathy, and we've many of them, you won't find stramonium in it. But she did some of her biggest healing, you know, with her breast tumor, with the remedy for shock and trauma that she carried in her. Wow. And this, this was extraordinary. And this is what I'm doing with everybody. That's soul retrieval. That's coming back to herself. And it's coming back to herself through the places. I don't go off and search as many shamans would do, go off and look for that person. Like for me, the person who has the most intimate connection with those soul parts is the person who's lost it. You know, and just creating and holding. And that's my job. You know, it's holding the space for the person to heal herself.
all healing ultimately is self-healing you know our job as healers is to hold the space and just provide the tools to, to catalyze that but it's all comes back to self-healing and that's the soul retrieval she's doing that for herself and I, I just as a little aside her mum was also a patient of mine oh wow really and her mum started having panic attacks after her daughter was diagnosed with the breast cancer her mum and herself had been at odds for a number of years and really had a very difficult relationship and her mum started having flashbacks to her breakdown and she started having memories you know memories of her breakdown and i encouraged her through her own journey in her body and in her connection it was very much through her gut her her stomach she felt it in the pit of her stomach in her solar plexus the connection with her mum she said it was like an umbilical connection and she realized she said my mum was five years old you know and she started i was five years old sorry when my mum had it and she said i'm remembering now my mum had that experience when she was five so generational generational so my my first patient had a five-year-old son so it had gone back through those generations and the healing was happening and the remedy that the mum benefited massively for while her daughter was undergoing working with stramonium was guess what stramonium and both of those prescriptions came from the women connecting with their deepest wounds and not as a mental idea, but as a felt sense of that experience, using the body as a way of connecting directly to the energy imbalance. She felt it in her breast, mum felt it in her stomach, and they were the access points and they were the places that they experienced the soul loss. And the daughter's soul loss left her in a place, left her with cancer. And the mum's soul loss left her as somebody who had been in and out of mental hospitals her whole adult life. Yeah. And that's, it's such a, um, I love how you approach getting to the source and getting to the remedy because, um, you know, people come in and some of them are familiar with the homeopathic interview process. Some of them aren't. But a lot of people, it's scary to go that deep. And so they kind of want to keep it surface level. And, you know, you, you interview them about their childhood and about their past history and everything like that. Um, at least um, who I observe does. I know everybody does it differently. And sometimes there can be like, well, my childhood was fine. It was fine. Everything's fine. You know, it's like there's a block to going that deep. Kind of fine. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> so I like that approach to, um, you know, feeling where that pain is. So say somebody um, doesn't have a tumor, say like it's, it is a migraine. Would you take the same approach where you feel into the head, the migraine? Or... Take the same approach. Yeah again and again and again and very often what happens i'm thinking of another patient who actually presented with me during a migraine attack and by breathing into it and connecting with it and envisioning it the energy shifted the more that she could fix it in her attention the more that she could breathe into it and make the connection she found herself dropping down into her heart 
And then she started crying and she repeated the same process in her heart. Mm. And she said, I'm feeling the energy moving down. And there's a practice in shamanic practice called just tracking energy. So I just invited her, just follow the energy. The energy moves and it ended up down in her uterus, down in her womb. And that's what was happening there. And then she looked in shock and she started having flashbacks and remembering of times when she was sexually abused as a very young child. Wow. A very young child. She started remembering two and three years old and making connection. And it opened up a good two years of working together around healing from sexual abuse. But this woman was in her late 50s when she came to me and she came to me with migraine. She didn't come to me with any knowledge any conscious knowledge of sexual abuse that had been pushed very deeply down, pushed down into her when she probably didn't even have words or language to describe what was happening to her. And she certainly didn't have any conscious awareness of what she was carrying in her body, but it had impacted every aspect of her life. She was a mother of four children, had difficulties, challenges in their relationships, challenges sexually in her relationships and all of that. But it was her migraine that brought her to the sexual healing. And what a gift then, you know, for that pain. Absolutely, absolutely. And and this is the kind of thing that just regularly has me moved to tears, people's courage yeah. to go to these places. But it does ask something of us as healers, Katie, to be able to be willing to be there, you know. You know, I, I'll often find myself in feelings and getting intuitions for having been with people in very intense places. Oh my God, she's going to start talking to me about this. And there's a part of me wants to go, God, not this, not this. And I have to go, okay, be present here. This is not, my business is to hold space for it. It's not to spin on it. You know, it's coming to the surface. Be very present, stay very present in what's going on here. Stay steady and present, keep the space safe and just to be able to contain what's happening for her, to make a space for these people to do their work, you know, and it does ask something, you know, and, and I do know that patients will go as deep as the space that you can hold for them. You know, like the things that I'm doing in my practice now, I couldn't have done five years ago, but I've gone deep in myself in this last year and a half. COVID has left, we were isolated and we couldn't move for four months. We couldn't move beyond a mile radius from our homes. You know, we were just caught in that place and you know, isolation, separation, it's been the, the shadow that COVID has brought and it's brought up all sorts of things, but it's also brought up the invitation to go deeper, you know, to go deeper into ourselves, for me to go deeper into myself. And I see the results of that in the work that I'm doing at the moment. It's just a mirroring, you know, we're, and that's you know, the understanding when we're working with energy. It doesn't begin and end with the remedies. Yeah. We live in an energetic universe. You know, we're sharing energy. I'm in the West Coast of Europe. You're in the West Coast of the States. There's a connection going on, a recognition happening in it. And we're in a field of energy over thousands of miles. And that's the miracle of what we do when we're working with energy medicine. I had a patient in Los Angeles on Friday last, you know, she didn't have access to remedies. I said, I invited her, I, I called in the energy of a remedy and I held it in my heart and she started crying. I, I've needed this remedy all my life. She's had 20 years of homeopathy. Thank you. She received it. 
Wonderful. Amazing. Just, it's so cool. I, I never take, um, coming across homeopathy for granted or any of these systems for granted at all. I was much like you. It was when I was 19, 20, it was a similar story where, you know, my friends were out drinking and partying and I stopped drinking at 21, ironically. <laughs> and it's just, you know, it's, it's very similar. And I, you know, at the time I was like, oh, why'd I have to be, you know, pushed into all these things so young and, and, but it's just like, wow, the gift it's just, it's amazing. And I, I haven't even started my practice yet. I'm still in the student phase, but it's just been the last, gosh, what has it been? I think nine years that I've been working with it, just, you know, with um, my own self-experimentation and now in my mentorship, it's just, I just, I, I'm always blown away every single time. And it's, it's just hits me in a level so deep that nothing else could ever touch. And it's totally my experience as well. And I love the fact I, I keep going back to Hanuman. You know, like, you know, we think of Hanuman as the person who originated homeopathy, but actually, you know, the beliefs, the traditions, the even the tools and it, it came from other traditions. Like he drew on traditional herbal traditions. He drew on understandings of, you know, I, I, I don't know what, he understood from these places he doesn't write about it but you know his understandings of potency came from alchemy which goes back thousands of years the idea of similars goes back thousands of years you know in european traditions but also in middle eastern and, and indian traditions so you know these are age-old principles that have been worked with but what he did was to give it a structure and what i love about it like his medical practice lasted 53 years and he constantly changed it he went through six different editions of his work and each one was different from the one before and each one he wrote and said this is the most perfect work i have and i've often mused on you know and i keep he left the sixth edition of his seminal work the organ in 1843 what edition would he be on now and and what would he be working with now and yeah. that for me is the legacy of homeopathy here, not to get stuck in books that were written, you know, 150 years ago, or, you know, and to be able to realize that we have a dynamic science and Hanneman keeps using that word in his, his writings. It's health and disease are dynamic. We need to be dynamic about it. We can't limit what we do with homeopathy. We need to keep expanding it. He continued to expand it through his life. And that for me is the Hanumanian legacy, you know, the the idea that we should continue to develop it and understand, like the idea that I can sit here in my my living room in my lockdown and send a remedy to Los Angeles, you know, energetically <laughs> and instantly that woman cries after 20 years of homeopathic treatment, she's finally got a remedy that landed deeply in her. You know, it's, it's just recognizing that working with energy you know, there are no limits to this. Mm -hmm. The limits are the ones that we place on them. Be open, try new things. And, and that's that was Hallaman's his, his whole invocation for us to, to dare to try new things, to explore new things, new ways of doing it. And we don't have to reinvent the wheel. You know, we don't have a model for working with energy and homeopathy, but the indigenous cultures do, you know, the Chinese medicine does, the Tantra traditions do, you know, the, the Tibetan traditions do. Can we not draw on these things? 
like Hahnemann's approach was a synthetic approach in the term that like he synthesized from so many different traditions and he gave it a structure. Well, why not? Why don't we continue to do this? You know, if, if we're looking for practice to help people connect, surely learning from people who live like that, who have traditions that go back millennia of working and healing in those areas, can we not learn from them? Yeah. And I, certainly, I certainly have, and it's been a massively enriching practice for me. Like I call what I do, people ask me what I do, and it's a soul medicine. You know, it's a synthesis of all these different things. But homeopathy has always been a soul medicine. When Hahnemann calls in, you know, the idea of that our work is to bring people to the higher purpose of their existence, you know, like, wow, that's some calling. That's yeah. soul medicine. That's not just fixing broken bodies. That's mm -hmm. dealing with broken spirits. That's dealing with spirits that have lost their way, souls that have lost their way. And what a, a wonderful, wonderful gift that we have, particularly at this time, to help people to come back to themselves, to find their purpose, and hopefully to stop destroying each other and the planet. And I'm deeply encouraged too, because um, I, I have a deep love of astrology and human design, which is a system that integrates astrology and the chakras and all of these amazing practices. And when I look at it, uh, this time from an astrological perspective, shifting into more Aquarian energy, which is this immaterial energy. And, you know, what do we call COVID the invisible enemy? We can't see it. We can't touch it. It's all around us. You know, we have talk of cryptocurrency and invisible currency, all of these immaterial topics coming to light. I mean, it's really time for homeopathy to shine. I think it's in alignment with the energy of where we're headed. It is. And I think if we continue to use the language of the 18th and 19th century, we're not going to be able to meet that. Mm hmm. You know, if you put homeopathy into Google, the first 20 searches are going to be fake medicine and they're going to be all yeah. sorts of things, you know, skeptical versions of what homeopathy is. It's not a very sexy term these days because mm -hmm. part and for me, part of the reason for that is that we are somehow still stuck in a mindset that is a 19th century mindset. Mm -hmm. we, we really need to be able to be homeopathic to our times. You know, and, and to language what we do and to find structures and find ways of, of working that appeal to people where we're at now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I think that, you know, how you integrate your work, um, I think is a really good example of that, just because, you know, people are more familiar now, I think it's more in vogue as in quotes, as you would say, to have at least a meditation practice or be familiar with yoga or something. So it's like the, there's some sort of familiarity with that. It's like, okay, if I go into my heart, into the pain, and then not, not just stop there, but then you have a remedy that's going to help you really clear that. So you're not just bringing it up to shove it back down. Oh, absolutely not. No, it's bringing it up for healing. Yeah. And that's, the, that's the beauty of what's happening globally at the moment. There is so much up for healing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. all of the the stuff that's been latent and unconscious it's all up now and it's all up for healing you know what yeah. a wonderful opportunity we have now to bring about some massive shifts 
I know our time is running short, Declan. I really, I, I had a final question for you. So I, I really want to hear your perspective on states like psychosis, schizophrenia. I know it's a deep topic that's probably deserves a whole nother podcast, but this spiritual emergency that, that you, you help people with that, you know, typically these people would just put it, be put in a psych ward and, you know, they're kind of shunned from society. It's something that's really, um, that I really connect with, uh, you know, I have a family history with these kind of mental illnesses. So it's, it's deep in my heart. And so I would love for you to, to share your perspective on these states. Well, when I started traveling and meeting, you know, indigenous healers in different cultures, and I shared the kind of things that I'd be dealing with in my practice, people having, you know, voice hearers, people seeing visions and you know, and talking about the challenges people have, you know, you know, again and again and again, the healers eyes would light up and they say, yeah, yeah, they're the they're the future healers. They're the future shamans. They are the healers that we need to support, you know, and I really got to understand that from a traditional perspective and in an indigenous perspective, people having non ordinary states of consciousness are seen as potential healers, are seen as people who are not only like healers for themselves and, and each other, but people who would be seen as, as a huge, huge um, advantage to the communities, you know, and, and as a resource for their communities. And it just became really clear that the kind of the Western model of dealing with these kind of things, like we've done research in Ireland that 80% of people who present to their doc with hearing voices are automatically given a diagnosis of schizophrenia on that one symptom. Now, I just find that extraordinary and it's an incredibly common experience. So thankfully, a lot of people are not going expressing this to their doctors, but we've pathologized states that in indigenous cultures are considered to be normal and excitingly normal that that but that need to be supported. Not that, oh great, you're seeing visions, you're hearing voices, you're seeing visions and hearing voices and that will need to be tempered. That will need to be supported. That may need some some ceremonies, it may need some plant medicine, it may be, need some kind of practice to help you be a better channel for it. Your nervous system needs to be strengthened before you do deeper work with that. You need to be able to have some you know, maybe change in diet, change of lifestyle, change in sexual practices, all sorts of different things to be a better channel for that. And these indigenous cultures have traditions that go back millennia. You know, I've worked with traditions that, that have unbroken traditions going back in, in the Andes, six and seven thousand years. I've worked with in Mexican ritual, you know, folks who have seven, eight thousand years unbroken tradition. You know, so they are very skilled in working with people in these non-ordinary states. And for me, the, the first challenge is to be able to say this isn't always pathology. Just because I may not have had that experience and my culture says hearing voices is schizophrenia, I need to explore is that what's really the case with the patient. The vast majority of times when I've really worked with the patients, I'm dealing with something that's 
the person is struggling to deal with experiences that are outside of the realm of conventional medicine and even outside the realm of psychology. I studied psychology back in the 70s and anything that you refer to as transpersonal was by definition pathology. That's the challenge. We're in a culture that's pathologized states that in traditional indigenous places they're actually considered to be gifts. Gifts from the spirits, gifts for your community. And so for me, a big part of my work is to try to first of all normalize these kind of states and then to be able to hold spaces for people and the kind of tools that I find myself using very often are what's yeah I hate to use the word but what you know homeopathy would be drug medicines made from different plants so I've made remedies from you know plants like ayahuasca plants like San Pedro plants but I have many many in the homeopathic you know materia medica like you know, you know peyote cannabis these are in different traditions these are the medicines these are the master medicines they call them in the amazon they call them the master plants you know there's so many different plants in the tradition but there are certain plants and these plants will typically bring you into non-ordinary states of consciousness now when people are stuck in those states where do they go to in the indigenous cultures they go to these medicines we have the potential, even though we're not sitting in the jungle in the Amazon and being eaten by mosquitoes, we have the potential for using these medicines and using them on a very subtle, very, very gentle level. I have a woman I've been working with the last six months and has been taking daily doses of this vine ayahuasca that's, you know, when you drink it in the Amazon, you have very intense experiences. This woman was already in a very intense experience of vision of completely overwhelmed by visitations, by dead relatives and all of this stuff. And this remedy helped to bring her back into balance. So she was able to be able to say, listen, guys, shut up a little bit. I have to make the dinner for my family and was able to open up a channel that wasn't overwhelming for her, that allowed her to have a, a much richer life in her family, and she's a healer too, in her healing practice, and not go mad, mm. to be able to ground it. And that's, for me, if people have these diagnoses, unfortunately, the diagnosis that people, she would have been given was having a psychotic breakdown. She had a doctor who diagnosed her with that. She knew enough not to go down the road of the antipsychotic drugs, but to be able to stay away. She had a history of going on these. She knew that there would be limitations of that. So we worked with the medicine, spirit medicine, the master plants from the Amazon that brought her back to herself, that allowed her to be able to stay open to these things. The antipsychotics would shut down these experiences, but they would also shut down the sensitivity would shut down every aspect of living. She's able to have more access to her life, to her emotional life, her mental life, in, in her case, her sexual life as well, and has had the experience of feeling now her ancestors are there to support her. Her initial experience in January and February of this year was of going mad. They were clamoring for her attention. They were, and her experience was of one who was going mad. So, you know, Stan Groff in the 1960s, a wonderful Czech psychiatrist, he did a huge amount of work 
in the 50s and 60s in what was then Czechoslovakia, working with LSD while it was still legal. And he treated thousands of people. And he found when he came to live and work in the States that psychology and psychiatry was incredibly limited because it didn't have a place for non-ordinary states of consciousness. You know, for actually dealing with people who are having visions, who are having experiences outside the realm of normal psychology. So he coined a, a new field of psychology, of psychiatry, called transpersonal therapy. And so he also came up with the term that you use there, spiritual emergency. And I love that, you know, because this is a person who's definitely having an emergency, somebody who's opened to the realm of the other but is struggling to ground it is struggling to keep it together and now i've patients who are triggered in that through a healing journey with this particular patient i was referring to it was a deep meditation a retreat she was on cracked something in her consciousness that opened her psyche so I've had people who have been cracked open into these emergency states by deep spiritual practice, by trauma, people coming back from war, people who've been raped, people who have done very intense practices of all sorts, spiritual practices have opened people up to that. And sometimes people spontaneously open up into these places. But the important thing to realize in all of these is that these can be potential for a new way of being in the world. And Stan talks about if you support people in a spiritual emergency places, you can support them having a new spiritual emergence. And I love that model from emergency to emergence. And that kind of sums up what I do with my patients in these kind of states. We help them from that place of emergency, help them integrate the experience, help them to land the experience, to embody it, if you like. And not to shut it down, but to stay open to it, but to stay open to it in a way that this woman could feed her family, could be able to look after. She had dogs, she has horses and she could look after it. And I she was the lady whose video you saw you you may have seen a little piece of it it's a longer video i would really recommend watching the whole video because she explained how not only her work helped her family but it also helped her horses helped her dogs you know wow. the the native americans in their peyote ceremonies they say we do this for all our relations and that's not just our ancestral ones it's our, our two-legged ones our four-legged our two-winged you know all our relationships so the work we do is really as far as i'm concerned when we really work with spirit and work with the energy fields it is for all our relations everyone benefits from this you know everyone who's in our energy field will benefit from the work when we help one individual and if you only ever in your practice you know, help one person kaylee You've already helped hundreds of people and hundreds of other beings, all their relations. And when we get to being like an old fella like myself here, you know, and having done this for 46 years, the numbers are in their thousands. And, you know, and I feel so blessed to be able to do this work, so blessed to be able to contribute to work that benefits all my patients' relations. That's just beautiful. Gosh, I think that's a 
perfect way to end it. I, I thank you so much for your time, Declan. Just mm. we went to so many amazing places today. And I just thank you so much for the work that you continue to do with people. And I hope that people find your work through this. And if they're called to work with you, um, your website is just DeclanHammond.com, right? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'll put that down below. Okay. Great. Yeah. 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 And if, if you want to share the link to the video as well, that would be wonderful. Um, I just think, yeah, the, the clip that I saw of it is just to see it, to experience it. It's just, that's, that's what you have to do with these immaterial medicines. It's so abstract that you have to experience it or see somebody's experience really make sense of it. Yeah, indeed. Well, thank you for the chance to speak about this stuff. Yeah. As you I love the work that I do and I love the opportunity to speak about it because it's, you know, we're blessed to be able to be called to do this work and, yeah. you know, just to remind each other, you know, it's like with all the work that we do, just to, to catch your breath and make sure that you stay well in this work and, and realize like what an extraordinary privilege it is to work like this. Well, I'd love to have you back on in the future to talk more. There's so many places that we could go and just thank you, Declan. You're very welcome, Kaylee. It's been a pleasure to meet you.